Heavenly Father, as we turn to the Scriptures which You caused to be breathed out, grant now the illumination of the Holy Spirit that we might read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. And all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. Now we come this morning to the fourth, fourth and last chapter uh, of Second Timothy. And our text this morning is slightly longer than in the bulletin. It will be chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And then we have, uh, I think, two more um, that will bring th this series to a close. And our text this morning is verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is in prison. These are words that he is writing to Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus. There is talk of Timothy coming to visit, visit him to bring a cloak and some books and, and, and scrolls and parchments, but that never happened because shortly after writing Second Timothy weeks, months, Paul was taken out to the Ostian Way, the main road into Rome, and there he was beheaded at the behest of Emperor Nero. These are Paul's last words then to Timothy. And it's interesting and fascinating and important that Paul's chief concern is about preaching. And in these first five verses, he gives a very solemn charge to preachers. Steve Lawson, my dear friend and friend to this congregation, wrote a book on preaching, published six to nine months ago, and he very kindly and, and amazingly um, dedicated the book to me. And he calls this passage, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, he calls it a signature 
text, and it is. It's a text that is often uh, employed at an ordination service or an installation service, and the preacher will charge the new minister with these particular words. I've probably heard a hundred sermons on this passage. Some good ones and some not so good. And as I was looking at this passage this week, and I've been thinking about it for several weeks, knowing that this was a signature text that was coming up, I thought to myself, well, first of all, this, this sermon is for preachers. My colleagues here in ministry and myself and others who have retired but still preach on occasion and wannabe preachers, interns who are studying for the ministry and are currently in, uh, in seminary. And how is this sermon then, if I address this sermon to a group of 20 people, what's the relevance of this sermon for the rest of you? Now, you can't nod off for 25 minutes. I will see if you do. What kind of preachers do you want? What kind of teachers do you want? And as you pray, and many of you do, I get texts very often on a Sunday morning that you've prayed for me and whoever else is preaching on Sunday evening. And what is the content of your prayer? And it could be based on this text. This could be an early Sunday morning prayer text for you to use to ensure the soundness and the ongoing soundness of preaching in this pulpit. Now, I want you to look at the design of this building. Have a look around. What do you see? Well, you see Gothic is what you see. Whoever designed this church was into Gothic, as was R.C. Sproul. And St. Andrew's Church, although it's a brand new church uh, in Orlando, uh, is Gothic in its design, and this is Gothic. But what, what's the most prominent thing in this building? It is this. It is this marble, immovable pulpit. You all face it. There's not an altar, it's a pulpit. It's prominent. Whoever designed this pulpit, I want to go and shake his hand when I see him in heaven. Because he did a fine job. I somehow recall 10 years ago when Sinclair Ferguson retired that he made a comment in a sermon just, just before you retired, that one day you will hire a preacher who will say, we need to move this pulpit over to the side somewhere so that something else can be prominent in the church. One day, 
having tickling ears. So, not in my time. All of you together couldn't bring this pulpit down. And that's why I like it. It is, it is solid, and it says, architecturally, it says that preaching is central in worship. We've come here to hear the Word of God. Every Sunday morning when you gather, you've come for one purpose, to worship God and to hear God speak to you through His Word, His infallible, inerrant Word. Now, let's look at this charge. It's a very solemn charge. Hard to imagine more solemn words. I charge you. And the verb is the verb that would be used of a high-ranking officer giving an order to a subordinate that he expects to be fulfilled exactly according to the terms of the charge. Paul is speaking to Timothy as an apostle. Now, Timothy is, in one sense, his protege. He's half his age. And he's giving this solemn charge, and he expects Timothy to obey it without equivocation. These are your orders, and they come from the top. And to make it even more solemn, he appeals to two persons of the Trinity, to God and Christ Jesus. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Timothy, as you, as you hear what I'm about to say to you, you must imagine that you are standing in the very presence of God. You can't get more solemn than that. Timothy, I don't want to scare you. I'm pretty sure Timothy was scared out of his wits when he read this. Because he adds not only the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, but says, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. That there's coming a day of judgment a day of reckoning. When Jesus returns, it will bring into action all of those end-time events that will come to climax in the great judgment before the great white throne. That's solemn, isn't it? that we have to give, preachers have to give an account for every word they say. Now, that's true of everybody. You have to give an account of every word you say. But there's something, and, and, and don't misunderstand me, I believe in the Reformation doctrine of vocation. 
I thought Luther was a brilliant man when he expounded the doctrine of vocation, that everybody has a vocation. You may be a bricklayer or an electrician or a lawyer or a doctor. Whatever it is, you have a vocation. And that vocation is one that you offer to God. But there's something, there's something here that when preachers preach, they are accountable for every word that they say. I'm told that many churches now have inserts in their bulletins or on the TV screens around the building if they don't have bulletins, that ask in a, in a kind of a survey before the service begins or at the end of the service and it'll flash on the screen and they will be asked, what would you like in the worship service? Would you like more drama? If so, press the button on your app. Would you like more dancing? Would you like more music? And what kind of music? Al Mohler says that the diagnostic questions should be these. Will you listen to the Word of God? Will you obey the Word of God? What is my response to the preaching of the Word of God? Note how Paul presses down who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom. Timothy, when you stand in a pulpit or before a lectern, you are God's emissary. You are a herald for God. You are a spokesman for God. Never let it be said that the congregation respects the Bible more than you do. Now, secondly, what are the details of the charge? And Paul uses nine imperative verbs in succession. The first of is, in verse 2, preach. It's the most used verb in the New Testament for preaching, caruso, preach. Lots of churches now emphasize all kinds of things, but the preaching is secondary. It's just a little homily, a little moralism to make you feel good. Preach, it's the idea of making an official announcement. It would be the verb that would be used of emissaries of the emperor. When an emperor issued a decree, how in the world were people to know what it was? Especially when you lived in, in the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire. And emissaries were sent out. 
and they would go to the public place and stand on a box, and they would read the decree of the emperor. When you preach, you are the emissary of God. Notice he says the definite article, preach the word, not any word, not preach whatever comes into your head, but preach the word, preach the Bible. The Bible, as Paul has expounded it in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, that is breathed out by God and profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in the way of righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So preach. That's the first thing that Paul says. You must preach the Word. And then secondly, be ready in season and out of season. And the verb, epistemi, fix your mind and your attention on the task that is before you. Like a soldier in battle your eyes open, your ears listening, your hand on your weapon, listening, ready for action, in season and out of season. It's not clear whether Paul means that subjectively or objectively. Subjectively, he might be saying, whether you feel like it or not, you must be ready to preach the Word. Every preacher goes through a season when they feel that they're dry. Some of the worst sermons that I've preached that I think were the worst sermons that I've preached have been praised. There's no telling what a congregation might respond. Some of the best sermons that I've preached that I think were good sermons, the congregation has said nothing. But I've been, in 45 years, I've been in a period, 35 years ago, I went through a period, four, five, six months, where I just felt spiritually dry. Because you're pouring out and out and out and out and out, and there wasn't sufficient coming in. I wrote to a very well-known, respected preacher who died a year or so ago, and I said, how do, you, how do you fix this period of dryness? And he said, you can't. You just endure it. You must preach your way through it and call on the Holy Spirit to give life and fire. He might mean it objectively. When the congregation is in season or out of season. whether people are ready to hear it or not. Now, this congregation, it's been a wonderful blessing. I tell, I tell my friends, this is the best pulpit that I've ever preached in. The geography of it, the architecture of it, 
The fact that when you're preaching, you can hear a pin drop. Hardly anybody goes to sleep in these sermons. And then a series of imperatives reprove. The Greek is elegmos. Strong disapproval or correction to point out error. That the Word of God comes and it comes to separate truth from error. Reprove and rebuke, expressing even stronger disapproval, to warn sinners of the consequences of their action, that unless they turn from their sin and embrace the Lord Jesus, they are heading for severe repercussions. and exhort, parakaleo, literally to, to call alongside, to call to do something. There's a difference between preaching and a lecture. A, a lecture is giving information. A, a lecture more or less addresses the mind. But preaching does something more than that. It addresses the will. Are you willing to obey the Word of God? Are you willing to stand contrary to the worldviews that swirl all around you? Preaching addresses the affections. Oh, that you would come to Christ and sit beside Him and listen to what He says to you and feel His arm embracing you and reassuring you that you are a brother in the family of God with Him as your elder brother to exhort. And notice, with great patience, because Timothy's young. And when you're young, you want things to happen immediately. You want it now. You want revival to come right now. You want your congregation to be reformed right now. And there are difficulties and there are obstacles. And Timothy is to expect, Paul says, Timothy, this is what you might find, yes, even in Ephesus, that there are people who will want your message to be toned down a little, watered down, not so strong, avoid certain themes. They'll want the messages to make you feel good, to massage your egos, And there are churches, he suggests in verse 3, that will call ministers, pastors, teachers to suit 
their own desires. May it never happen here. May it never happen here. And then in verse 5, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Because there are worldviews out there that can intoxicate you. I've seen it happen time and time again. Christians will get hold of a certain view. They've read a book. They've seen something on the internet, and they're fixated with it. And they, 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 they're drunk with it. Their, their minds are not stable as a consequence. So, keep your spiritual senses sharp and endure hardship. I was teaching the Lexington church plant during the Sunday school hour, and uh, pray for that plant. They're right on the cusp of finding someone. I hope I'm still here when we announce who that, that person is. And we're walking through the Acts of the Apostles, and we were in the 14th chapter today when Paul, uh, people come from Antioch, a mob of, of Jewish zealots come from Antioch, and they stone Paul. And they drag him out of the city and leave him at the side of the road as though he was dead. Imagine. Stones coming, hurling at you, hitting your head and your thorax and your arms, and you drop to the floor and you have concussion. And in the very next verse, we read that he recovers and he goes back into the city. What? <laughs> Endure hardship. And do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Make sure that in your preaching and teaching, the gospel is central. Make sure that you tell people the way of salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. That there is a way to have your sins forgiven. There is a way in which you can be absolutely assured that you will get to heaven by casting yourself completely on Jesus Christ. Make sure that you do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Or, I, I, I prefer the NIV translation, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Well, that's Paul's charge to Timothy. It's a charge to preachers and teachers in this congregation. It's a charge to Sunday school teachers. And as you pray for this congregation, and as you pray for the pastors and Sunday school teachers on Sunday morning, and some of you get up early and you do that before you come to church, use this passage as the template. And may God, in His wonderful mercy, ensure that generations and generations of Christians in this church will adorn the doctrines of the gospel and be firm in their commitment to sound doctrine, as Paul puts it.
Well, let's pray. Father, we bless you and thank you for this text, this crucial text. And we pray once again that you would ensure that the Word of God will go forth from this church and into this city with soundness and firmness and resolve and commitment. And let us remember that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. So hear us, O Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.